Today's message comes from um, the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of God. We are in part 13 of our series on creation, and um, I'll just let you know, we only got one more week to go. I actually could do another 12 more. There's so many things that could be said, especially as we get into these very explosively um, difficult and controversial issues that we have going on in our culture right now, um, but we have to learn some new things um, and other things from other parts of the Bible. So this will be part 13. We'll do one more in our series on creation, and then we'll move toward Easter. And I was thinking um, there's so many things that need to be said, but um, we'll just maybe pick it up at another time. Not sure, maybe later this year or maybe early next year, we're going to do a whole series just on sexuality alone. Uh, maybe we'll just focus on that subject matter. Um, we could probably do at least a dozen sermons just right there, okay? But for today... Um, Today, I entitled this message, The Self as God, and I put that in small g because we obviously do not believe that the self is the real God. It's a false God, right? The self as God in secular gender ideology, and today's message is actually picking up from last week's message. So if you're new here today or for whatever reason you missed last week's message, um, I, I would urge you to go and listen to last week's message too. I, will, I always try to make each message self-contained so that if you didn't hear the previous one, you can still follow what we're talking about today. But I do urge you to go listen to last week's message. You can find that on our YouTube channel or on our podcast, okay? And I want to, okay? and I want to say this before we get to this message, too. I said this last week. There's no way I could say everything related to this subject matter. I may say some things that are confusing to you or maybe even offensive to you, or you're saying, what about, but what about this or what about that? And... There's so many things that are so broken in our culture regarding, um, regarding um, uh, sexuality, about what it means to be male and female. I understand that. And I want to just say, um, if you have a question, please ask. If you are angry, please say so. I want to hear it. And so send me an email, um, susong, S-O-O-S-A-N-G, at revive.pres.church. And um, especially if you ask a question that I think that will be a, a relevant and helpful to everybody, I'll try to make a YouTube video. We'll throw that up onto our YouTube channel, okay? Let's get into it. Part one, replacing God with the self as creator in the LGBTQ religion. A lot of people are just fixated on the question of uh, gender, but... There's a much deeper problem, and that is the question of theology. Who is God? <laughs> what is God? A lot of secular people don't seem to understand that if you think you just can eliminate God out of the picture, that doesn't mean the question of God goes away. And what's happening in our culture is they throw God out the window, and now I've replaced God with me, with the self, okay? 
Part two, from the darkness of mole land, that's what I call our culture today. Remember if early in, the, in, our, in our series, we live as if we don't even know that there's light. We're always living in the dark. That's what moles are like. And so today I want to give you a story from the darkness of mole land into the light of creation. And part three, repentance and healing through grace and truth. Okay? Repentance and healing through grace and truth. So, briefly but importantly, let's get to part one. Replacing God with the self as creator in the LGBTQ religion. And let's go to, you know, our Bible passage. So, it's brief, but it's tremendously important. And until our culture is kind of completely, we're basically going off the cliff. And I don't understand, if you, I, if you go back even a couple messages, I, I talked about how a society has to want to get married and have children, be fruitful and multiply. And if your society doesn't know how to do that anymore or doesn't want to do that anymore, we're literally dying. <laughs> and our society, our culture, is literally committing suicide. <laughs> and the way we are doing it is right here through our understanding of male and female. So here we go. But let's go to this chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Okay? Let's go to verse 27. I told you last week, this is one of the most important verses in all of history. And I said this last week. I, I can't believe this is so controversial today. But again, from culture to culture, from era to era, this verse has been unbelievably important. And this verse is utterly rejected by our culture. And we are living in a culture that just completely wants to throw this out the window. Human beings think we can define what it means to be human. And first and foremost, we get rid of God. <laughs> so in the secular ideology of our culture, there's only secular resources and definitions of what it means to be human. It's just our wisdom alone. Nothing from God, nothing from revelation. No, there's no holy book. There's nothing revealed by God. There's no word from God. It's only a word from man. And so, first of all, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. We throw that out the window. So, first and foremost, do you know that without God, you don't know how to be human? And without the image of God, that you become subhuman. Whole cultures, we choose to be less than human. And here we go. Male and female, he created them. How will we be in the image of God? God gave us, there's, there, he differentiated male and female. He created them. And that's together we image God. Male and female together. No, the men cannot image God wholly by ourselves, and the women cannot image God wholly by themselves. Only together do we come to image and show the likeness of God, okay? Now, in our culture, today what I want to do is, I've got to unpack this because it's, if you grow up in the church, you just hear this. And somehow, it just becomes this, you know, easygoing little Sunday school lesson you learn as a kid. And then we don't, and we think, okay, there's these things that we learn at church in that Sunday school stuff. And then you go out to the real world, and the real world, they tell you real stuff. It's kind of like our attitudes in secular 21st century postmodern America. But what I want to let you know is that you go out into the real world the real world, the secular world, and they have doctrines too. They have beliefs too. And um, the one where this is supremely controversial today is in the religion, that's what I will call it, is a religion of the LGBTQ. And now there's like IA+, I don't even know what those stand for. And I taught you last week, the proliferation of that vocabulary and the constant shifting and changes of meaning, it's, it's on purpose. The gender ideologists who are the, essentially the high priests and priestesses of a new secular religion, they keep 
us on their toes, constantly changing the meanings and definitions because of power. Okay? So, what is going on today? There is a word from people. It's eliminated the word of God. And so much of this whole series is to try to get you to see that when you look at the world, you have to look at the world through how God says what it is. And when you can see how God says what it is and see his purpose, his goodness, his wisdom in it, you're living in creation. It's everything. And some kind of secular ideology will tell us who we are and will tell us who is male and female. You're not living in creation. <laughs> the Lord of your life is now just only man. And when it comes to this particular issue, something kind of new has come along. For years and years, as a young man growing up, and then, you know, for a lot of you who are young, you've been living in a society that basically says you get to be Lord over you. You get to shape and decide your identity. Does that sound kind of like our culture? You should be true to yourself. You get, isn't that kind of words you hear? It's in the songs. So if you're not true to yourself, somehow you're not authentic. So if your father says, you're this, and you have to do what your father says, but your own self says, but I'm gay. I want to be that. Or your father says, you must become a doctor. No, but I really want to become a rock and roll singer. <laughs> now, you must be true to yourself. So that's been going on for years and years, even since I was a little boy. And in our culture, inside of what we call freedom, American individualistic freedom, you, you're supposed to choose yourself. If you, don't choose, if you choose your father or your mom or your church, you're not authentic to yourself. You know what that message is ultimately? It's a religious message. Soon as you can decide who you are, identity questions, skills moving around, evolution, and the morality, the how you, the, the good and the bad, the right and the wrong, the way you should be, that, that is religious language. And for years, you should always choose yourself, and yourself gets to tell you who you are. You know what that is? You get to be your own Lord, to use Christian language. So if you've been pastored by me, sometimes you've actually watched me do this. There's you. There's Susang. There's this person named Susang. I don't know who I am. I'm trying to figure. I'm like running through life. Okay, I hope that girl likes me. I don't know, who I, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know what my career is going to be. And I have all these insecurities. And that's just me trying to get through my life. Who is supposed to tell me who I'm supposed to be? Well, in, in the Christian faith in the Bible, you know who it's supposed to be? God. <laughs> and particularly, God gives you a gracious Lord in the person of Jesus. So, but in the secular religion, I don't know who I am. I'm insecure and I'm afraid. Well, who is your God? The God is over here. The God is you. <laughs> You're supposed to be your own Lord. <laughs> and you, as Lord, tell you... This is how you're supposed to be, okay? So that's what's going on in our culture for years. But this has now shifted with the gender question. This is incredible to me. It's absolutely incredible. And nobody ever thought this when I was a kid. You are you. Who gets to be your creator? Hmm. See, in our culture, they're telling you you get to be your own lord. For generations, you get to be your own lord. I've said it in different ways. If you think you're your own lord, or if you think you're your own king, you have a very bad king running your life. If you are the only that's the way I put it. But today, in the gender ideology, now you don't only just get to be your own lord, you actually get to be your own creator. You get to create yourself right down into your gender. That's where we are today. And so think about that. Creator and Lord. You get, so in that sense, God, it's no wonder that our culture finds Christianity offensive and even bad. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it next week. When I was younger, people basically just thought that Christianity was not true. 
So this Bible and stuff, is it even true? The question was truth. Today, it's more and more, is it even good? So if God is supposed to be creator and Lord, and it's going to shipwreck yourself, creator and Lord, well, of course, they're going to find that offensive. And so where is going on? Why has this changed? Because what has changed in our culture is technology. <laughs> There's ideology. The ideas have changed. So first, it's not a coincidence that we have this today after we've legalized this thing that we call gay marriage. Everybody just thought we, if we just let a man marry a man, because, you know, don't they just want to have what the men and the women have? If a woman wants to marry a woman, how could you stop them? Because they, isn't that just love? And if you are against that, aren't you hateful? Because love is love. That's somehow the language. It's a love defined utterly without God. It's a love only defined by their theology of what it means to be human. So that happens. But nobody saw this coming out apart from creation. I knew that we were going to pay a tremendous cost after our culture, because you can't, it's like, um, have you ever seen the movie Inception? <laughs> if you don't have to, don't worry about it, okay? Inception is you put an idea into somebody, but that idea grows and turns into something that you don't expect. So our culture accepted the inception that a man can marry a man or a woman can marry a woman. And then it morphed and changed into something that nobody saw coming, which is actually that a girl can choose to become a boy. <laughs> That's what's happened. Because you know why? If a man can marry a man, then God is not the creator of marriage. <laughs> God is not the Lord of marriage. God is not the definer of the good of marriage, like the book of Genesis says. So if you can just get rid of God and you can just change the definition, wait a second. If we have the technology... Can't you just make yourself a woman, even though you're a man? Isn't that the ultimate freedom and goodness to do that? And that's where we are today. <laughs> now, I want to say something about this. A couple things. It's tremendously, it is a crazy lie. It is a cultural-wide delusion. The people who know their, their molecular biological sciences, they know this is a, a delusion. You, know, you have a genetic makeup, and every single cell says whether you are, whether you are male or female. That's biological. And nobody can change that. And they make that point. Male and female goes right down to our genetic order and our shaping. Now, of course, they don't believe in God, so they won't say that's from God. But if we're Christians, we're like, that's from God. So today, what is believed is if you can change the physical anatomy, the, the physical biology, the way you look, then you become, become a man, even though you're supposed to be a female. So that's the understanding. If you could just change the plumbing, if you could just change the looks. But a woman is more than just her body. <laughs> a man is more than just her body. His body. You know, there are women today, they can get breast cancer. And when they get breast cancer, it's common. A lot of women get it. You know what happens? They'll go through probably chemotherapy and radiation. And if, the, if it's bad enough, they But that doesn't make her a woman. And you, she may have to have surgery and essentially lose her breasts, does that make her a woman? We know, we know, everybody knows. Even if you're not a Christian, everybody knows womanhood or manhood is more than simply physiological and biological that way, all right? In the biology right down is a, in the, woman's hair is generally, something deeper is going on. So the male and female, according to the Bible, is something from God. And as we pursue the goodness that God gives, it's good, very good. And I said to you, it's an invitation to the glory to image God, to be like God. There's a masculine way to be like God, which is glorious and beautiful, that the women don't get. 
And there is a feminine way to image God that the men can't have. And together, we give off of the reflection of the goodness of God. And so that is being utterly lost in our culture. Um, let me just say two more things before we go to part two. Um, a lot of people, you live in the Bay Area, and we think everybody must believe this. And we Christians, we're the, such these, these weird, small little minority. And, you know, we, that, so it's easy for them to just get rid of us or something like that, to fire us, to cancel us. Let me tell you that the, the actual, and again, the mainstream news media, they will not give you these numbers. I got this through a Substack newsletter. <laughs> Substack newsletter, in this case, was written by, uh, I don't know how you pronounce his name, R-U-Y, Rue or Rye Teixeira. He's actually a Democratic consultant. He comes of a liberal. So you can find it. You can go find it yourself. You know, he, he has a Substack called The Liberal Patriot. And he gives some of the statistics. So he talks about, he talks about uh, what is the percentage of people who are in favor of the, of the, gender, I, um, of, of the gender teaching. The numbers are vastly people are against. <laughs> now, how about this one? Voters responded by 43.70 versus 27 that they were opposed to allowing the practice of schools to teach this current gender agenda. 70% versus 27%. So that's not a small difference. 27% says yes, the schools teach that. 70% say no, the schools should not teach that. And if you go, and it's very interesting. It's the richer and educated people, they're more in favor of the gender agenda. The middle class and poor people across all the ethnics you know, and the races are more and more against it. So it's very much rich people imposing their religion on poor people. That's exactly what's going on. <laughs> One of the things I want to say to you, Revive Church, do you actually love the poor people in our neighborhood? Are we going to be just a bunch of virtue signals? We care about justice, man. I care about poor people in the neighborhood. You know where real oppression is happening in our neighborhood? It's like this. Real oppression is where, where rich people, majority of them are white. You want to know through this delusional, secular, gender religion. And it's happening from this and want this, except they know that if they speak up, they could lose their job. Call it canceled. I'm sure all of you know what I'm talking about, especially in your company. Here's the other point I want to make before I go to part two. People think they could be their Lord. It sure feels great to run your own life, right? Oh, now let's be your own creator. Most of you probably don't really believe that. You can't create yourself. But you know who is starting to believe that? Young people are believing that. <laughs> Young people, especially teenagers and those in their early, they're the ones who believe that. And it's really breaking them and causing them tremendous anxiety and fears. Think about it. You're 13 years old. You are insecure about your femininity and about the way you look. And so you don't know what you're going to be like when you're 22 or 25, and you need a pathway to get there. So maybe I should become a boy or maybe I should learn how to become more of a woman. So you have this pathway this way, and they, they completely diverge, and you have to make this tremendous decision because you have to be self-lord and self-creator. How does that not create tremendous anxiety? <laughs> that is anxiety, like, just through the roof. <laughs> That's going on in our culture, okay? Let's go to part two. I'll tell you a story. And this is a, I, I got this out of a, the book, The Genesis of Gender by Abigail Favale, which I quoted out of you last week. The Genesis of Gender by Abigail Favale. And this is from chapter 9. It's a story that she tells. And uh, just she's an expert on gender, and she believes in Jesus. More and more people who are having doubts, especially young people who have doubts about transitioning, they come to her. 
she has heard many honest stories about those who have transitioned and then regretted it. There's actually a term out there, they call them detransitioners or detrans. And again, our media, they will not tell you the detrans stories. So today I want to tell you one of them. And get a little feel for this is something that's going on out there and how we in the church, we must proclaim the good, gracious truth from God of his creation, okay? So just sit down. It's a little, it's a, there's a, some complexities and twists and turns. And so, you know, try to be like a kid today and I'll, I'll be like the teacher who tells you a story, okay? Daisy was a serious child, creative and intense, more temperamentally suited to windswept English moorland than Midwestern American suburbia. That's where she's from. So she's not from the Bay Area. She's from the heartland in the middle of America. As a child, Daisy was a writer churning out character-driven stories that always seemed to arrange themselves around male heroes. And no matter how often her parents reassured her that she could live out womanhood in her own unique way, she remained unconvinced. When Daisy projected herself out toward the imagined horizon of the future, she didn't see an androgynous woman or a masculine woman. She didn't see a woman at all. She could only imagine herself growing into to be a boy. I have this vision of myself that seems pretty misogynistic. That's the word she uses. When I think about it, she told me, being this intellectual stoic kind of person, I had this archetypal idea of myself that seemed inherently male. So just think about that. She's a teenager. She doesn't give off the typical girly behaviors or desires or looks. So when she thinks of who she is, she's not thinking of herself as kind of, I'm going to be a strong woman and you know, I have feminist desires. I'm, not gonna, I'm going to just grow up and become a lesbian. That's not what she's thinking. She's straight up thinking, I guess I'm just going to be a man. <laughs> hmm. A lot of you don't know this. I've read the books on this, and it's, it's intense. The people, most of the people who want to do the trans, they're teenage girls. The vast majority of them are teenage girls wanting to become boys or men. So she's more, she's in the middle of the, of the majority on this, okay? Daisy does have a somewhat serious vibe. So this is um, Abigail Favale. She speaks with deliberation, reaching for the best words to express a complex thought. There's also a warmth and brightness about her, an energy that quickens in her. And I don't, you know, I always try to say what I mean and mean what I say. And I know that as a pastor, that's helpful to people. So I habituate that. Like, I don't want you to feel that I'm giving you some agenda. I say this thing and I mean something. No, I don't want you to feel that. I always want you to feel I mean what I say. I say what I mean. Earnest, earnest sincerity, okay? So apparently she's like that too. Her expanse of herself and her identity was mediated by the ascendancy of Tumblr and YouTube and the new age of pop gender theory. A choose-your-own-adventure self. This framework, which has captured our cultural imagination, fragments. See, it breaks it apart, what your person is. It fragments your personhood into a mix-and-match categories of gender identity, gender expression, and sexual orientation, even biological sex. So I can choose this part of being a guy, but not this part. I can choose this physical part of me, and I'll choose that to be a man, but not this part. Oh, I can even choose to decide if I'm really going to be a man and identify as a man or not. See? You're self-creator, self-lord. It's all your rights. Anybody who says adolescent transition, they began to skyrocket. Right? Like most teenagers, Daisy had immersed herself in the online world, using it as a therapeutic escape from real life and the turbulence of adolescence. So two quick points. This is two years after our Supreme Court changed our laws on gay marriage. It's not a coincidence that the trans agenda skyrocketed after that. Okay. Second point. 
This is what all the teenagers are like. For those of you who are older, whether you're 23 or 43, don't you remember what it was like when you were 13 or 12 or 14? You were insecure about your body. You were insecure about being a guy or a girl. So you go out into mixed company, and you just wonder if they think you're ugly, if they think you're fat, if they think you're dumpy. You're a dumpy girl. You're a dumpy guy. So today, where do the kids go? They go into, they hide in, in the social media space because they still want friends, but now they don't have to be face-to-face -face with each other where somebody can judge your body and your femininity, your masculinity. But that's sad because that's exactly what you need to do. At that age, you need to hang out in mixed company and receive feedback. And of course, teenagers sometimes give you really mean and horrible feedback. But then you learn by a kind of strange trial and error who knows how to be a man, who knows how to be a woman, and you learn how to grow and figure out manhood. Because when you hit puberty, you sure as heck don't know, right? So you have to go through several very insecure and painful years to say, okay, I'm a man, and I'm going to figure out how to do this manhood, even though I'm pretty chicken, and I don't know how to do this. Everybody's this way. But now, if you take creation out of it, there's no God, there's no goodness of male and female, and, and there's no church, and there's no good male role models, female role models, and the whole culture is telling you, you get to choose. Well, that's what the kids start to do. <laughs> this is where she first encountered trans influencers on social media, seeing in their story something of herself. I wanted their narrative to be my narrative. They had found their true selves. See, their true selves. It's religious language. They were happy. They were attractive. They were successful in life. And those were things I really wanted. Don't, it's not what we all want. <laughs> she began to wonder if the missing piece to her own success and well-being could be attributed to a singular fundamental cause, her gender. See, if you grow up in the church, somewhere along the line, maybe when you're about 14 or 15, you just start screwing up your life, it starts to become very, very real. But what if you don't see Jesus being your Savior? It's actually, oh, if you just change your gender, everything will, will turn out great. <laughs> it's an anti-gospel, good news, a very toxic religion. <laughs> The idea that I'd just been living life as a wrong gender, and if I just correct that, I would thrive. That was really attractive to me. Daisy began to adopt the language and framing of pop gender theory. So listen to the kids today. Listen to how they talk. Listen to your friends. How do they talk? Are they using the language of pop gender theory? Let me just put it this way, of the LGBTQ religion. Christians, we speak our language because we tell people what we believe. But guess what? They're telling us what they believe. So she's starting to take on that language. Even though she was an atheist, she embraced the standard spiritual vernacular of transgender anthropology. She took on the spiritual atheistic language of her religion. Right? I have a male soul and a female body. That's how she talks. They are contradicting each other, and I can't change my soul, so I'll change my body. Hmm. At first, Daisy was unsure about medical transition. Her dysphoria had never been acutely physical. So what is dysphoria? So that's the technical word. That means inside you feel like you're the wrong gender. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to be male, but inside I feel like I'm a woman. So if you, know, you look at me, obviously I'm male. If I start thinking that I'm a woman, she did not loathe her female body. She basically says, I hated my body. Started when I was a teenager. A lot of men sometimes, men sometimes have this too. We just wish we were taller, we wish we were more muscular, and then, you know, then we, you know, take the protein powder and like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> you know? But it's nothing compared to the women. 
And women could look really beautiful and everything, but if she has ugly ankles, she's like, oh, no, nobody can see my ankles. Okay? And I don't mean that in a funny way, but ladies, I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. Guys, this is what it's like for women. So what if that's intense? Let me just say one thing about this. Ladies, if there's a part of your body that you don't like, maybe you don't even like most of your body. God likes you. God made you good. God made you very good. And I want you to hear that. I hope that if you go look at yourself in the mirror tomorrow and you don't like what you see, and especially if you have these ideas, I just, I don't like this. I want you to hear what God says. The Bible says he made you very good, very good. It doesn't mean we can't work on some part of our body. We all know how to eat too much and put bad things into our body, etc. Everybody has to do some of that, okay? Even if you're gorgeous. But God, he doesn't hate your body. He certainly doesn't hate you, okay? Her dysphoria had never been acutely physical. She did not loathe her female body, but she rather she wanted to be perceived as a man to be able to seamlessly adopt a male role in society. But coming out publicly as a trans man, man turned out to be the first step toward medicalization. So she says, I'm a trans man. So now I got to decide toward the medical. She wanted to be taken seriously. Of course, if you look like a woman, <laughs> you feel like a woman, and you say, I'm a man, who's going to take you seriously? It's pretty logical. So, I went full into it, full speed, she says, maintaining the promise of some vague happiness in the future. As soon as she, went to eight, she was 18, Daisy went to an informed consent clinic to begin cross-sex hormones. She thought there would be some kind of psychological evaluation. There was no gatekeeping. Think about that. You walk in, you're 18 years old, you're depressed, you're anxious. You might even be doing self-harm. I want to become a man. Give me these really intense hormones that's probably going to make me sterile in the future. Not probably they will if you keep taking them. There's no psychological gatekeeping at all. That's the reality. <laughs> Actually, the situation is even worse than that. If the doctor says, you sure you really want to do that? Maybe you have symptoms of mental illness. If they say that, then they could be charged with discrimination and their medical license is in trouble. That's true. So it's very rational from their point as a professional not to say, oh, hold on there. You might want to put some brakes on that. There is no break. There's no gatekeeping. All the things in our professional certifications right now are the opposite. Your career is in trouble if you question. That's where we're at. If, you're, if you think I'm making that up, ask our professionals, okay? Ask our therapists, ask our doctors. They'll tell you, okay? Within an hour or two of showing up at the clinic for the first time, she was given her first shot of testosterone. It only took one hour. Daisy underwent, okay, two years later, again, no psychological evaluation. Daisy underwent a double mastectomy. She had just turned 20. Do you know what a mastectomy is? That's where they remove the breasts. So she's 20 years old. Yeah, we'll, we'll surgically remove your breasts. No questions asked. Thus far, Daisy had few doubts about her transition. I was really jazzed when I started. The process she had embarked on was now complete. I was now complete. I was waiting for that final sigh of relief, she said. It didn't come. No final sigh of relief came. In its absence, 
the absence of the fulfillment that she anticipated. Let me say it my way. In the absence of the salvation she had anticipated, doubts began to crowd in. The vision of the future that had propelled her forward was now, it was like, now I have the future. It's now present. And she found herself, as she put it, staring into the abyss that should be a future, but she was devastated, carrying around a sick, sinking feeling in her torso, haunted by the thought that she would never be complete. She was now faced with two options that seemed unlivable. She had to either live with her transition or she had to reverse it. Initially, she said, I'm going to just try to live with it. She kept her doubts locked deep down, confiding in no one. During this time, she struggled with severe body image, acutely aware that her altered body did not Before transitioning, there was kind of this incongruence. It didn't fit between her perceived, I have a male soul and a female body. That's how she felt. That's the dysphoria. Now, she felt that there was this split between her female body and her male persona that she had created. I'm in congruence with herself. And I'm trying to create a male persona, but that actually doesn't go together. So this new incongruence was sharply physical and very debilitating. And midway through her transition at the age of 20, Daisy began, oh wait, hold on. Transition, all right, let me all right. Transition is often framed as do or die. You do it or you die. So people racked with dysphoria are often told that if they do not transition, you think you're a, you know, a man in a woman's body. If you don't do this, you will become suicidal. So I read this in another book. That's, so there are these parents. They deeply have doubts about their daughter wanting to become a man. So they want to say, they want to scream, don't do it. It's not right. But you know why they don't say it? Because the professionals tell them, if you do it, your child will commit suicide. <laughs> so they become terrified with this kind of psychological, emotional blackmail. So then they just trust the experts. But then it goes on, says, and if so, if they go through themselves, if they go through the whole transition and then they regret it, then they'll kill themselves. So the only, only good way is you've got to go forward. You want to do it. You have to do it. <laughs> and then if you have to, after you do it, you have to be happy about it. What if you're not happy about it? Then you'll become suicidal. That's going on. <laughs> the narrative can twist into a self-fulfilling prof uh, prophecy. If it had not been for this narrative, I would have been able to get through this for you and develop as my own person and learn to be myself in a more and meaningful way. You know what she's saying? Let me translate that for you. When I was 12 years old, I wanted to be a guy. But if I didn't have this narrative, this religious narrative coming at me in the social media, I would have just said, okay, I guess I'm not actually a guy. I'll just have to figure it out and learn how to be a woman. I'll bet you there's some of you when you were a teenager, maybe you weren't entirely happy with all the frilly femininity. Or if you were a guy, you didn't want to be some macho guy. You wanted to be more of a sensitive guy. But you just learned how to be a man, how to be a more sensitive man. I'll just speak a little personally right now. Most of you guys can see I love football. You know the thing that I love about football? The courage, the hitting the manhood, I liked kung fu movies. I was like a dude's dude on that side. But you know, when it came to my feelings, I was very in touch with my feelings. And if something hurt my feelings, I could cry like that. And even my dad would tell me, what are you, a girl? <laughs> so I was a very sensitive, and I still am. <laughs> I cry a lot more in movies and things than she does. There'll be many times in church I will cry. I guess I'm a sensitive man. I'm a dude's dude. 
So when I read these things, I can feel what she's talking about. It's not just her story. I had some version of that. Maybe it's not, I wouldn't call it dysphoria, but trying to figure out, because the culture tells you this is what a man is like. In this case, it's Korean culture or American culture. This is what a man is like. This is what a woman is like. Don't cry. You're a girl. I love that in K-dramas, the guys cry today. So it tells me that in Korean culture, they got over that. I'm like, good, because it was stupid. <laughs> but you know what? Every culture has some truths and lies about masculinity and femininity. You know why we need it? We need the truth from God. <laughs> and thankfully, I came from a Christian family. So when you know when my dad told me, at first when he told me, you cry, you must, you're like a girl. At first, I felt ashamed. I'm like, I must be like a girl. And then I read in the Bible, Jesus cried. And then I thought, my dad is wrong. Jesus is the best man there ever is. There will never be a greater man than Jesus. Apparently, you can cry. See? It's from the Bible. It's from God. Midway through her transition around the age of 20, Daisy began thinking about a dormant thought, an interest from her childhood that quieted down during her teenage period of atheistic skepticism. So she was interested in God as a kid, but then she's like, I'm an atheist now. Happens all the time. Goes the other way too. You know? I, uh, I'm an atheist. So today, if your kid goes, I don't believe in God, just, just calm down, okay? <laughs> just calm down. Wait till they had 12, 13, 14. If they're 17 years old and they're like, I hate God, there's no God. Okay, we have a more certain God. Dormant. She was in college now, majoring in communications while taking courses in religion and philosophy. At first, this God thought was a purely intellectual pursuit. She was willing to believe in God's ex existence, but this was not necessarily a personal deity who cares and guides with intention. It's kind of like an interesting academic thought. Interesting. Then the God thought became a Christ thought. She found herself fascinated with the person of Christ. There's a sense of completion and wholeness to the narrative of Christ, she explained. She wants wholeness, can't you see? She wants completion. She reads enough Bible and she goes, there's completion, there's fulfillment, there's salvation in Christ. Daisy started visiting churches, not as a believer, but as a seeker. She passed as Ollie, cautiously hiding her trans identity, unsure whether she would be accepted or rejected by the Christians around her. Now, Revive Church, I want to ask you a very serious question. All right. and this question, when you go to GLF this week, absolutely I want you to discuss this question. What if Daisy calls herself Ollie and walks into our church? We have a person who walks into the church. You could tell it. She's a she. Maybe you can't even entirely tell, but you think, you're like, I think she might be a she, because she calls herself Ollie. Could you love her? Could you welcome her? Could you give her grace? Could you gently, if you get the chance, give her truth? I hope that if she was sitting in our sermon today, I, I, I believe that a Daisy who calls herself Ollie, if she isn't in the room today, will watch this YouTube video tomorrow or next year or five years from now. And I hope she could feel the Holy Spirit is in me and in our church. Such a person can receive grace. Please love. Daisy in our church, okay? Daisy's growing interest in Christianity dovetailed with escalating doubts about transition. See, there's like doubt about her secular bad religion, 
There's like that's going down. So now she's looking for a real God. She skirted around the edge of the distance, one from another, and run over the land until they converge at a shared point. It's like, like this. This convergence, one is a spiritual quest. One is an identity quest. Imagine two diagonal you know your identity quests and your spiritual quests. Identity quests are spiritual quests. The who am I needs to be answered by who is God. If you are made in the image of God, guess what? The most important question is, who is God? It's not just who am I, it's who is God. I was actually having a conversation with my daughter last night, and she was saying, I'm a Christian, but I have some control issues, and I'm really wrestling with places where I don't know how to give up my control to God. She's an absolutely, you know, totally committed Christian. So she's not having a total identity question, but that's going on 14, 15. When I was 21, my identity was built on, I'm going to be the successful doctor in the future. That's my identity. So when I hated science and didn't want to do it, my whole self was crumbling apart. Thankfully, you know where I turned? To God. <laughs> that identity question is a spiritual question. Okay? Please think about that to your children and think about it to all young people. They all have spiritual questions. They just don't know it. They're just wondering about themselves. And they don't have God in there. But here's what's going on with her. After trying for several months to recommit to transition, Davy, Daisy had begun opening up about her doubts, but only to virtual strangers she met on dates. Last hurdle of transition, she had to reckon with the consequences of long-term long testosterone. She had already been taking it for three years, and she became increasingly aware that around five years, at five years of taking testosterone, her reproductive organs would likely atrophy to the point of needing a hysterectomy. You know what hysterectomy is? That means your, your uterus has to be surgically removed. And only, it's like that's something that no woman ever wants to happen. It'll have to happen. She keeps up with the testosterone. The door to biological motherhood was closing. Right? This is where she first, oh, I want to go. Daisy's growing desire to one day have a child eventually outpaced the terror of detransition. I know I'm pausing a lot here because, you know what, Daisy's desire to have a child, where is that from? Come on, Revived Church. It's from the Bible. God made women to want to be mothers. God made women to want to be fruitful and multiply. God said that is very, very good. So her desire to become a mother, that is actually what made her go, I'm afraid to detransition, but I'm about transition. We're tormenting me day and night. So I stopped taking tea. Tea is testing. So by that time, she said, I decided to experiment with practicing Christianity. Rather than eyeing Rather than eyeing it from a safe distance, she asked herself, what do I want to get out of my study of Christianity? What is the goal here? <laughs> Am I just like reading this because it's interesting to me? Desperate for some ground of meaning, she began to read scripture. So thankful she started reading the Bible and prayed, God, show yourself to me. And he did. For the first time, I knew what I believed. That's what she said. And I knew who I really was. I was God's. I belonged to God. You never know when a person this is going to happen. It didn't happen at church. It wasn't some spectacular thing where she came up to the front. It probably just happened after she was reading the Bible at home. Show yourself to me. If you are listening to this message today, if you ask that question to God, if you ask him, please show yourself to me. And you mean it. God always takes that very, very seriously.
it might be tempting to read this convergence of conversion and detransition in simplistic more trans person reads the Bible, gets saved, feels guilty, starts being trans. She says, that's not what happened. It wasn't even close to that. I, how I felt about being trans wasn't guilt. It wasn't because I felt like I was sinning, that I'm being bad, I'm some kind of horrible person. The Christian frame that Daisy slowly entered was not punitive or legalistic, something about condemnation. Instead, it was the recognition of something deeper, a deep desire in her. Maybe there's an innate part of everyone that actually wants to live with God. You know what she's finding out? Inside of you, every one of you, even if you think you're an atheist, you're made in the image of God. The desire for God, the longing for God, you can never run away from it. It's inside of you, no matter what you think about yourself, inside of your ideology. So maybe I found that part of myself and have to nurture that part of myself. Her unwillingness to accept herself had become a blockade. She calls it a blockade between herself and God. And when she had decided to transition, the veil was lifted and I felt like I can go into my full throttle of my faith. This was not a negation of the self, but a repudiation of this old bad identity and unveiling. I need to get to the close of my message. I want to just close this way. I'll just do this quickly this way. All the time, when we live like moles, not like human beings, a cave, it's, you know the light shines like this. She read this book, and the light shined. She said, God, show yourself to me, and God heard her, and the light shined into her mole land heart and dissipated away the LGBTQ lies. And here's what I just want to close. There's two ways that Jesus shows us we're breaking Genesis chapter 127 all throughout our culture. There's two verses I thought about the way I want to close this message. One is John chapter 1 verse 14. And you know what it says? That the Son of God, the Word became flesh. He became human. Let me give you the verse. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father. We're all looking for good. She was looking for, I want to become a good, I want to have a good future. I want to have a beautiful future. I want a glorious new self. That's what she's looking for. We're all looking for this. When I was 20, I thought my, the glory of myself will end up in medical school. So when my glory was dashed, and I hated it, myself felt dashed. The young people today feel like, i got to become a man, even though you're a woman. You know what she needs to see? We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And here's the part I want you to hear. It's full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. If you just want to give grace, hey, you're nice, we accept you, and there's no truth, I would say we're not loving this person. I would even say it's not even real grace. It's just cowardliness. If we give them harsh truth, what the heck is wrong with you? <laughs> Are you crazy? Without grace, is that of the glory of God through Jesus? When you were lost, when you did not know your way, and you did not who you were, know who you were, did Jesus come to you with harsh truth or grace without truth? Didn't the truth come to you filled with grace and the glory of the face of Jesus, the light shine into your life, and you knew that was God? <laughs> grace and truth. And let me close with one more verse that this utterly makes me think about. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, 
It is veiled to those who are perishing. That's what it's like. We could teach the gospel, but it's like covered up. People can't see it. It's veiled. They have this, it's all like stuffed up with their ideologies. Maybe for you, it's more like money idolatry. So I don't need Jesus. I'm just going to get rich. But for some people, it's gender idolatry. And it's veiled. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In veiled. The devil has blinded the minds of people. And you know what's crazy? You know how the devil blinds people? If the devil tells you that you are your own God, you tell yourself how to be blinded. <laughs> so a lot of people out there thinking, I'm the Lord of my own life. If you think that about yourself, you think you're in control, but the devil owns you and will destroy you. The, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. And here's the way we'll close. Who is the image of believers. The Son of God who is God came to be truly human. And in his humanity, what real humanity looked like shined off of him. And you know what it was? You could see it in the grace and truth which he gave to us through the cross. Brothers and sisters, Jesus gave you grace and truth. And when you received him, you know what he's giving you? The glory of his true image, the true image of God, true humanity. It will be filled with grace and truth. If we do not live inside of the, the hope of the gospel and of his resurrection of true humanity forever and ever, I'll talk about that because I just got to keep my job. So we'll have grace, but no, it's right. Or you're like, love the true humanity of Christ. But if you're afraid, either way, you're afraid to give truth or you're afraid to give, you don't know how to give grace. Today, Revived Church, you could say this to Jesus. Jesus, will you show yourself to me so I could see the real humanity that I need and fill me with grace and truth so I can give real masculinity or real femininity to my children, to their friends, to our neighbors. And even though we may do so imperfectly, your grace and truth will abound. There's no perfect, okay? If you do this in faith, the Lord Jesus will give you this in droves. And the Holy Spirit will exude grace and truth through the image of the glory of God in Christ in you. And this is how we will love our neighbors in this very, very broken time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I don't know how many of us know somebody personally. If we don't know somebody personally or this is already happening, it's probably just a matter of time. We pray for the Daisy Ollies in our lives. We pray for the Daisy Ollies in our city. If there's anybody listening to this message today who is in this place, I pray they would listen to this crazy fool pastor. And they're not just hear man. They would hear your word. And their eyes would behold Jesus the true image of God, the word who became flesh, full of grace and truth. And we pray that many who think that this has been their salvation would throw this false salvation away and find you. 
Help our church to walk with such people. Help our church to walk and love our neighbors. They may not be transitioning, but they believe this religion, this bad religion. Help us to walk with courage and gentleness. With humility and confidence. Filled with grace and truth. So that people in us and through us would see you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray.